every life has a story. And every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. From Africa to Australia, not only to Australia, but to Aldac, Australia. With me in the studio tonight, I have Chris Millen, a South African who the Lord called to this magnificent land of ours to bring some healing and to bring some restoration. Amen. Initially, he came to a city, but God had a bigger plan for him, and he took him out in the country, in the outback, to the farmers, to the stations, to the Aboriginal communities, and uh, a bit different from South Africa, but, but nevertheless, still a ministry. And this week he's in Perth in Western Australia, and I couldn't wait to grab him and bring him here. Mm-hmm. And uh, just want to welcome you to the show. Welcome to Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Thank you. Thank you, Nathaniel. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, we had a wonderful night last night at church with ministry time, and um, we're having another session tomorrow night. Yes. But in, in between these two, we squashed this interview. And tonight we want to hear a little bit about your journey. Were you born in a Christian family? So I had a Christian nana, and um, my mother and father weren't against Christianity, but I think I was the first in my immediate family to get uh, into church at the age of about seven. Who took you there, your your grandma? I actually took myself. Uh, I think she took me. She came to visit, and I connected. I was, funnily enough, we moved to Australia in 1980 to 1982 from South Africa. Okay. And um, we moved to Melbourne, and I was in a little town called Dingley, which is on the far side of Port Phillip Bay. There's a Dingley in town? Yeah, near Dandenong. Yeah, there's a Dingley in in Perth. Right. Not in Perth, in Melbourne. Right. There's a suburb called Dingley. Yeah, that's where we were. Oh, okay. Yeah, just off Springvale Road. Yeah. So I grew up there. I went to the school for two years, and... um, I think it was when my Nana came that everything shifted. There's a few moments in my life and she was very spiritual. She spoke in tongues. She was on fire. She was an evangelist. And she came to Melbourne? To Australia to visit us, yeah. So your dad was working in Australia? He was with IBM at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we moved from South Africa because he of his job requirement. Okay. So we literally immigrated. And then after two years, we moved back to South Africa. He didn't want to stay here? No, he he had, we had other family things that okay. happened in South Africa. So do you remember growing up before coming to Australia? Very much. Yeah? Yeah. From about what age? So Four, three and a half? I've got memory right the way back. Yeah. It's kind of weird, but I remember a lot. And um, if I think of Christian influences, one of the things that did happen, which I think was, is worth highlighting, was... I got hit by a car when I was four years old and ended up in ICU for two weeks. And, you know, I don't have a, I remember patches of it. But what I do remember is suddenly leaving hospital supernaturally. And I think my Nana came to visit before that. And um, that makes sense. It was a, it was a weird thing. I, in the beginning, I was separated from my mother and father back in those days in hospital. You stayed and the parents couldn't sleep there, whatever. Yeah. So it was a a real separation thing. But then I also have very strong memory of me being very happy at hospital, 
climbing into the cot with the little girl next door and reading the children's books to her because she was in bandages from some accident. And, yeah. and it got to the point where the nurses were almost like, well, he shouldn't be here. <laughs> he needs yeah. to go home. So I'm suspicious there was an intervention from the Holy Spirit there. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Which part of South Africa were you born in? Or? So born oh. in Durban, yeah. uh, then we lived in Joburg, and then the majority of my time when we returned as a, as a young man was uh, in Cape Town. Okay. Yeah. And your time in Melbourne, in uh, the outskirts of Melbourne? In wow. Um, public school, yeah. complicated, learned how to run fast. When you ran out of steam, you had to learn how to defend yourself. <laughs> it was yeah. just a normal Aussie experience. Um, it was, a, it was okay. It was okay. You know, Australia at that time, um, for me, I was part of Scouts or Cubs. And I remember going to a church camp. And in the church camp, they were talking about Jesus. And I had never had an encounter. And they were preaching on the fact that he took my burdens. And I, yeah. I, I honestly was debating with the leaders. I couldn't understand, Nathaniel, why uh, this man had to die. For me, I didn't understand what this was all about, and when I understood, I cried and cried and cried. It's and, beautiful. Um, yeah, it was a real, it was a real thing, you know. Mm. It was a real thing. So I think leaving Australia um, was difficult in the context of the continuity of that. So you took yourself to church in Australia. I did. The church bus would come and get me, and I was the only one who went. And your parents didn't mind. No. Uh, how many siblings? <laughs> older brother, uh, who's three years older, and a younger sister who was six years younger. And your mum, uh, was she working or was she staying home with you? With Home with us, but always industrious. And okay. uh, dad had a very strong career, so there was a lot of that support, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. And uh, going, you didn't really want to go back to South Africa, did you? It wasn't a factor. We were confused about it, but, you know, we had moved quite a lot. And oh, even before that? Yeah, you know, the, the job just moved my dad around. So when we got there, you know, we just made the most of it. So yeah. it was a bit weird when you go back from country to country, but by the time we arrived to Cape Town and we were all together and everything was growing again, it was perfect. It was home. Yeah. Mom and dad started attending church um, in, in Cape Town. So when what, we got back... What took them back to church or what took them to church? I don't know. I think it was just something in their own hearts you know there'd been a lot of prayers the same prayers that i think drew me into the kingdom was from the the mighty nana yeah i'm very very um i've had an interesting journey in my life which we'll talk about today where you know i keep getting plugged in with with ladies ministry yeah and um i believe in the mighty nana's prayers and i saw it, <laughs> i saw it turn my family in the right yeah. direction you know yeah yeah that's beautiful yeah uh, what what sports did you play? What was your passion? What hobbies did you have? So growing, growing up, growing up, um, once we were settled back in Cape Town, I had an interest in skateboarding, surfing, or more boogie boarding, uh, the ocean, fishing, and rugby. Always rugby from of South course. Africa. Come on. Yeah. So um, I don't say that I excelled in any of those, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed yeah. enjoyed my time with all of that. Um, and at that time, we were also connecting to the church, you know, and I was, it was Church of England, though. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a, a wonderful experience. I really enjoyed it. But, yeah, you know, something happened. 
something happened to me, which I'm happy to talk about, at about the age of 13. And it all shifted for me. Mm -hmm. you know, everything suddenly went dark in my life at that time. Psychologically or spiritually? I think the whole thing, you know, um, I went to high school. That yes. was a change. Mm -hmm. uh, 13, turning 14. Um, and we had a school project and I had to go to a friend's house to finish the project. And I walked in and there was older boys from the school um, and they were playing on a Ouija board. Uh, it's, it's not something that I had ever seen. It's not something that I'd even been really warned about. I, I didn't feel good about it. And they were much older and they said, put your hands over here. And we were both a bit intimidated. And I put my hands on this board. I honestly didn't know at the time even what I was doing. Yeah. But as I put my hand on this board, I felt a fear, like a liquid fear come into me up my arm. Mm -hmm. I felt it come into me. And the church that we belonged to was a beautiful church, but they didn't believe in the supernatural gifts sure. and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I was part of youth. I was going to church camps at the time. I was fully in. I was being confirmed. Everything yep. was on track. So I went to the elders. We had a little conference that weekend, and I was like, guys, I've done something. I don't know what I've done. I can feel it inside me. I need help. Yes. And they said, but, you know, we'll pray for you. I said, no, but I need help. And they go, Chris, you're saved. Stop panicking. Jesus is with you. You'll be fine. That night, I was having nightmares. I felt this thing getting more and more saturating my inner being. The next night, I was crying. I went back to the leaders. I said, please help me. I'm feeling something inside me. It's overwhelming me. And they're like, you'll be okay. Don't worry. You need to have faith that you're saved. And the third night, I went back and I cried. And Nathaniel, I felt this thing overwhelm me. Yeah. And that was it. It was 14 years of uh, completely different, Chris. Um, I, That's I, how long you lasted afterwards? So for 14 years, I wasn't a Christian. Wow. From I, 14 to 28. Yeah. I, and that journey, I, I loved my mom and dad. I loved my friends. I wasn't a bad person. I hated myself. I hated what was inside me. I couldn't. There was something in me that needed to be filled. And it was horrific. I ran. So I was a, a good son, but I, the identity that I carried and, and, and the unsettled heart was just horrific. So studied good jobs in London. I moved to London after school, um, met my wife there, um, got involved in the nightclub scene and just got heavier and heavier. Um, it didn't get fully out of control, but I was damaging myself. I was mm. never wanting to hurt anyone, but I just wanted to take the reality I was experiencing and numb it down. Mm -hmm. So whatever tools I could find to do that, yeah. I hit with uh, passion. Mm. And um, How did you meet yeah. your wife? So we met um, in London, a gathering of two households over a barbecue at many, many, many people traveling, Aussies, Kiwis, South Africans, etc. Yeah. Beautiful. And uh, I just saw her there and we, we just... I just fell in love, you know, and we... What was, she, was she South African or...? She's a Kiwi. Kiwi. Um, she's from New Zealand, and um, she was there traveling in about her fourth or fifth year, I think, and I was there working. I didn't really leave London much. When I got there, I got a good job and just kept working. And, and then... What were you doing? 
Um, well, it started off uh, essentially just in, in IT. Is that what you studied in South Africa? Studied marketing, um, but always had a, I did computer science at school, mm -hmm. some programming, but then I, I kind of got into IT support just before, year, you know, Y2K. Yeah, perfect and timing. Many doors were open in London, so the business side was flourishing. Yeah. But um, when I met my wife, this is well, my, she was my girlfriend at the time, I realized that there's this lifestyle I was running, and then there's this beautiful relationship, which I can honestly say I knew from the time I met her, she was the one. Yeah. And I nearly messed it up a few times, and I realized this wasn't working. And then the London winter came again. And it was. Did you marry her there? No, no, no. We were together, and she was traveling back to New Zealand, and I was planning to go home to South Africa. And then we had this moment where it was like, well, what do we do? And she said, I'll come with to South Africa. So wow. she was very brave and she traveled with us. My mom and dad were just delighted to meet this beautiful princess who's brought their son home from <laughs> many years of not talking and whatever, you know. Oh, it was that bad. There was a gap. That, no, no, no rift in relationship, but, but just, just no, sens no sensitivity on yeah. my side yeah. to anyone else's needs. Yeah. And um, then I think that we met, but by the time we were married, it was almost just over a year from the time we first met. So it was very quick. We got back to South Africa and our love just multiplied and really romantic and wanted to just get married. It was just wonderful. So her family came over, not a lot of friends, just her family, her mom and her dad and her sister. We had this whole big wedding with uh, 50 people on my side and about four, five. People, four or five on her side. But you know what? It was awesome. And, in a um, church? Yes. And this, this was amazing. So we In met, South Africa, you have to marry in a church. You can't marry outdoors. You don't have to. But, but, but most people do. We, 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 we got this beautiful pastor. Uh, I think he was Anglican and it was in this beautiful church. And the service was hilarious. He got the whole thing wrong and we messed things up and forgot to say things, but we were all laughing. So it was very joyful. And um, we've been really committed and married, like committed to our past together since then. And yeah. um, within a year after that, we'd had our first son. Oh, wonderful. Mm. In South Africa. In South Africa. So, so she, she became a South African or she could um, get permanent residency? PR. She got the permanent residency, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think the, the highlight there for me was that um, I was unpacking some boxes and this is where things get real and uh, the Mighty Nana's uh, plan unfolded. So I was unpacking boxes that I left with my parents when I'd first gone to London. We were in our apartment, my wife and I, and I was, I was looking at stuff and I pull out this old hard-covered NIV and um, hmm, I looked at this Bible and I felt something. I felt something um, yeah. just wave over me and I thought, man, what was that? And I had this thought in my heart. I thought, you know, Lord, if you're real, you must be pretty disappointed in me. Um, I had this thought all day. So my wife was working in a restaurant at the time. That night I waited for her to go and I, I lit some incense. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. And um, I needed purification. And I lit some incense and I, I decided to open up the Bible. Yes. And as I opened up the Bible, I just opened it and I read. The first scripture I read was about in Kings where it says, and he will send the ravens to feed you there. Mm. 
And it was like these words hit my chest and my face because I've got a tattoo of a raven from the days that I was a bit lost on my back. And it's a very specific thing. It wasn't an eagle. It wasn't a crow. It was a raven. And the word raven was in the word. And I, that it meant something to me. And I was just like, wow. But then a fear. Fear was there. And I, th I believe it was the fear of the Lord. Mm. Um, really, really felt fear. And I was afraid. I could feel something. I went to bed that night. And that night I had a dream. And I met Jesus. Wow. And um, he looked very different to the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Aryan Christian that we've seen in all the children's books. You know, he looked, um, you know, different. He had brown eyes, brown hair, and he was smiling, and he just was dressed in normal clothing, but he came over and greeted me, and he took me for a walk, and I was very shocked because I knew it was him. Yeah. And he showed me all these people, and these people were crouched down almost in a paused state, like a yeah. computer game. And I'm looking at all these people, and I said to him, so, so who were all these people? He said, well, these are all the people that you're going to help. <laughs> and I said to him, but I need help. How can I help them? I need help. And he laughed at me, and, and he said, have you got any questions? And I said, well, um, what about my tattoos? And he said, they're pretty cool. And I was like, okay, that was a shock, because this was not the Jesus that I had yeah grown to understand. And I said to him, okay, what about smoking? And he said, oh, it, it will just go. And it did. And then and he said, right, well, that's it then. And I said, I guess that's it. And I started walking away. And then he said, have you got any more questions? I said, yes. I don't understand the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit thing. Yeah. So he said, oh, that's easy. It's all me. <laughs> and I went, okay. And I woke up and I, and, I, and I have not been the same ever since. So from there, I entered into a moment, Nathaniel, where I believe I wasn't spirit-filled. Yes. But I believe that I had been regenerated in some way. In yes. some way, I was the prodigal that had been invited home. Mm. And um, I even started to have an expression of spiritual giftings. Yes. But I wasn't spirit-filled. That came a bit later. Yeah. Mm. And your wife? In, so, this, in this whole journey of yours, in this new chapter? So she has loved me whether I was lost in a nightclub or whether I was spirit-filled. And just a beautiful journey together. Um, her, her path with the Lord, she went to church when she was very young, about the same time I did. Mm -hmm. And then for whatever reason, someone spoke rudely about the church and she just didn't go back. But I think that in her heart, she connected with God back then as well. Yes. So it was just a matter of course. And as, as the presence increased on me, she just, you know, it's not because of me. She made her own distinct yes. decision for Jesus. So we've, we've loved the Lord for a long time now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get spiritual? Oh, man. So from that moment, I got a job, and that job led me in, back into IT. But this time I was on the sales side and really started to build our lives in South Africa. And um, I had a colleague or two who were spirit-filled, and they saw the change on me. They just saw this, this light on me, and they were saying to me, like, what's going on? And one day something happened. I was driving to work, and just like, I don't know, a movie where you see writing on a, it's like a, a jet pilot's console where you can yeah. see writing, but you can see through it. I saw a scripture. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was a scripture. It was something in Romans. And I just figured in my natural growing Christian self that this would be a scripture for someone. 
I got to work, the first guy I saw, I said to him, the Lord showed me something. Can I share it with you? And he said, sure. And I spoke the scripture that I'd seen in the car. Yes. Not even knowing where it was from. And this guy burst into tears. And he was a guy who had been in ministry and lost his way. And this was the scripture that took him into ministry. So this was all quite shocking, but it caused a bit of a stir at the office. It wasn't a big office. Yes. And um, one of the older guys came to me and said, look, I've got a men's meeting I go to. I'd love to invite you. Would you come in the morning, 6.30 a.m. on a Wednesday? <laughs> Round table of prayer. And the format was brilliant. You, you walk in, you find your table with some uh, Christian soldiers. Many of the pastors were there, many apostolic leaders. And you sit down and the point is there's a guest speaker, a little bit of worship. And then you have some bread on the table and some jam and stuff and some coffee. But the main point is that in your table, you get to pray over and minister to each other and pray into the things that are there. And then there's a closing prayer and then you leave, get to work. This to me was like drinking from the fountain. I mean, I had been on my own with Nana's old Bible for a while and uh, I was reading and enjoying, but I wasn't in any fellowship. And this just lit me up. And one of the times, a few months later, a guy walked in. This man carried authority. And during the prayer time while we were all praying, he just felt in place, stood up from his chair, and he blew a shofar. Wow. And something happened inside my body. It was like a frequency hit me, but the frequency stayed inside me. Yeah. And it started to pulsate in and inside me, this frequency. And then he started to command things. And he commanded with an authority I had never heard. Remember, Church of England was not what was able to help me with deliverance. Yes. And this is where it all happened. At the same time, I felt the presence of God coming in me and this frequency expand. I felt two demons leave me. Wow. And someone would say, how did you feel two demons leave me, right? Yes. <laughs> well, I felt their hands holding on to me as they were leaving. And two of them, one, two hands were on my calves and they snapped off my calves like human hands yeah. in the direction of the door. So I know that whatever came into me all those years later, uh, earlier, I know for sure that whatever came into me all those years before re left because Jesus filled me. And, yeah. and honestly, I have never been the same again. From that moment, I have, I have been the same. <laughs> mm. Deliverance and uh, filling. Filling and deliverance. That's Maybe the, other that's way the order. The light came and yeah. the darkness fled. fled. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. And then you went on a journey of prison ministry, women's prison. So we, we just lit up. Kaz and I were both Christians at that point. Um, Caleb was growing and we joined a beautiful little Methodist church. Different to, I think, what you have in Australia. I would almost call it a Wesleyan Methodist church. Yeah, not the typical uniting. Yeah, yeah, full of charisma, full no, of yeah, fire, you know, that thing. And, and I just lit up. So they involved me in everything. I, I put my hand up to teach the little children, to teach whatever, to... I was just a ball of fire. In yes. fact, maybe pretty difficult for the pastor. You know, I was one of those guys. It's just like too much clay on the wheel. We need one of these people mm. in our church or a couple. You know, when, when it comes to the potter and the clay, some of us put down more clay than the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> we need to be shaped down. But I had found the answer. The answer I, for all those 14 years, all that hole in my heart that was being filled, Jesus filled me. So I found the peace that I had been missing. And um, 
So I matured and grew, and um, they gave me literally from the time I was spirit filled, I started preaching. Okay, I was preaching home groups, I was preaching uh, leaders' meetings. I had things to say at the men's meetings. I was involved in the church service when they allowed me. Um, they gave me an evening service on Saturday night. They wanted me to move into the lay ministry in the, in the Methodist sort of structure. This was in English or in Afrikaans? In English, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm English first language, Afrikaans second yeah. language. Um, and this was an area in Cape Town called Tokai. And we had the most amazing multi-generational community. Not everybody was tongue speaking, but it was tolerant. Yeah. You know, the Methodist thing back then was holding on to John Wesley's Moravian uh, remember the Moravian motto, which was, you know, in essentials, unity, yeah. and in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, love. And, and, and we had Calvinists on one side, literally, like they didn't believe in certain things. We had Wesleyan Armenianists on the other side, but all family, you know, and I learned to love the whole thing. And um, I'd traveled into Africa a couple of times, and we were doing a little bit of street ministry, and I'd started to see healing, really. In Zimbabwe or um, Malawi was Malawi. where I started, yeah. but there was obviously in South Africa. There's shanty towns, ghettos everywhere. Yeah. There's people in the streets. So, so we were feeling very led. You know, it's hard to go to Malawi and see miracles explode. You come back home and there's a poverty structure of of, of South African Africans that are just everywhere, and they have, and, and it's like, well, I'm not going to keep traveling to Malawi and and when there's work here. Yeah, yeah. So at this time, in my explosive growth, I, was, I had approached the pastors because I thought, well, who wouldn't want to come to church during their lunch break on a Tuesday yeah. and a Thursday and be filled with the word? Why would you want to eat food? I mean, this was my mindset. I would. Yes. And they said, okay, Chris, have a go. And the only people that came was a group of women, really. It was fine. I had a chance to speak. I was trying to preach as much as I could and craft my, sharpen my craft. And in that journey, Nathaniel, there was a moment where things shifted. I had already had a sense of the prison that was between my house and my children's school. It's a, a prison called Polesmore Prison. It's an 8,000 plus prison, prisoner prison, male, male, female, and juvenile. It's like a high-security compound, massive. massive. Inside the prison is a village bigger than some of the Australian towns. Yes. 800 families, not just people, families lived on-site in houses. Inside the compound. They are the workers or they are... They are the, they are the, uh, one of the members of the yes, family yes. would be the, the we wardens, yes. and the rest could come and leave the prison to get on with normal life. So, they, so why would they live on, on the... Good question. So... In Africa, the prisons have this kind of like third world gang system with numbers and drugs and all this stuff coming in and out. So often what happened was families were taken and children were taken hostage by the gangs. Take in or take out. So that you would then allow drugs in a while, things like that. Yeah. So there was a control thing. So that's how that worked. Now, this was a high security prison. I'm talking blade tape, electrical fences, triple layers, high uh, AK-47s, guns, handguns, um, you know, electrical guns, the bulletproof vests. It's, it's military. Yeah. So I would look past this and I felt my heart was warming. I thought, what goes on inside this place? And at this Tuesday or Thursday meeting at the Little Methodist Church, 
I was preaching to my small group of lady followers, all beautiful prophets and evangelists there. And I could see a lady being carried, almost carried while she walked, an African lady crying. And a, another lady was bringing her into the meeting. And I just knew that something was happening. So I said, ladies, look, and went over and opened up. This African lady was called Mildred, and she was the woman of peace in that prison for us. And it turned out that she had worked there for a number of years. She just had a nervous breakdown and burst into tears and fell down outside a pharmacy down the road. And this other lady had tried to help her and knew, was, knew of our meeting and thought she could bring her to us. So we put her in a chair, we prayed, and she strengthened, and she was delivered from all the burden of walking this out. So I went home that night, and I just had this feeling in my heart to go to the prison. I think that was the Tuesday. It was the Thursday night that I was, my heart was thumping. I said to my wife, I need to go to the prison tonight. You know, I left it. The Friday night, it, it happened again. It was two nights in a row. She said, you've got to go then. Mm. I'm like, Okay, and I, and I got to the prison, and, and this is so funny. It was nighttime, and I didn't want to get shot. Yeah. So I held out my Bible around the corner, and I went, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, and they said, Pastor, come. We've been waiting. And I was really confused by this. So I went around the corner, and there's the prison gates and a sort of a fiberglass house that they sit in. Yes. And they said, he's in there. And I looked over and I felt my heart beating, Spirit of God. So you could see the inmates through the fence? No, this is the prison wardens at oh, the, the front wardens. before I'd even gone in. Oh, okay. Yeah. And as I approached the prison wardens, I didn't want to get shot. So I yeah. was just at the before I'd even gone in. Yes. Yeah. At nighttime. I, yeah. you, I don't know why I was led to go. And they said, come, we've been waiting for you. The guy's in here. And I was so confused. And I went into this little fiberglass house. Yes. And there was a man lying on his ground, on the ground, and his back. And, he, and I said to him, how long have you been in pain? He said, for two nights. And I realized that God had been asking me to go there to pray for him. Yes. So when I prayed for him, his back got healed. Yes. And then we had this little time of ministry in the front, in the dark, at night, you know, sort of all the prison lights on, but before I'd even gone in. And from there I was ready. Yeah. And I went back a few days later and I thought I need to go to the admin block. And guess who was standing at the front of the prison with his firearm when I arrived? The warden. Yeah, the warden. And he's, hello, pastor. And he opened the gates and he let me in. I didn't have, a, I didn't have approval. I didn't have any paperwork. Yes. I had nothing. And he just let me through. And from there I went to the, um, I went to the little admin office. And I spoke to a conservative Christian guy who was very concerned about me and he didn't want to help me. Yeah. But there was a Muslim chaplain and he said, can I speak to you? Mm. He said, we've got one place that I think you could work and it's a ladies prison ministry. Mm -hmm. You can have access to the other areas by invitation, but it's not long term. It's what they call remand or mm -hmm. pre-trial. Yeah, yeah. So well, they wait. The prison cells get emptied in the whole region once a week. They come here on a Tuesday. You can have them on a Tuesday morning. Mm -hmm. And I said, I will take it. <laughs> and that's what started it over a 10-year journey, a 10-year ministry. Every Tuesday morning, teaching. Tuesdays and often Thursdays, um, sometimes twice a week. And we had 150 ladies in our, in our services each week. And often there was more than 100 new ladies. 
we've calculated over 50,000 women came through that ministry that were healed and delivered. Wow. Mm. And were you just ministering from a stage or could you approach him? So I was brought into a hall, eight, sometimes six, sometimes eight gates in, and we're talking African prisons. So um, not as rough as Central Africa, yeah. but you, in this, this area, three to four people in a bed, sometimes two people in a bed. Um, there was about eight, 800 in remand, but you know that group, about 150 would come to our prison. There was screams, there was noises, there was smells. Uh, the ladies were often not dressed politely, um, and I was incredibly, incredibly intimidated when I first went in. So what it looked like when I went in was an open hall, and me standing as close as I am to you, there was no separation, and there was also no wardens to protect me, because when I started to pray and Holy Spirit started to move, they went and hid in a safety office, which was a wooden house inside the hall. Because, because they, of the, the devils, for the evil will start manifesting. That's right. So the, the wardens would lock themselves in there. Yeah. So I was on my own, but I had my team with me, and Mildred was there as well. So we worked as a unit. And, so um, who was your team? So my wife, yeah. Kaz, was there, and Mildred. And at that time, my mother was part of the team. And, and the ladies that were part of that build-up team from the Little Methodist Church. So for me, it was amazing, Nathaniel. So six, seven of you would go inside. That's right. So I would run the whole meeting. Yep. I would do the ministering yep. from the front. I would do start off uh, and then go into uh, healing and deliverance. And uh, many who needed to give their life, what I felt was there was an aspect, a deep aspect of inner healing and salvation that was needed. And then I would literally position the ladies around the room and I would go, okay, you go there, you go there, you go there, you go there. So it was a... And there was, there was laying hands and praying for them? Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. And these meetings would go for a couple of hours or three Hour hours? and a half, hour and a half, sometimes yeah. more. Oh. Mm. Sometimes we waited four hours to get in. Mm. Sometimes we waited one hour to get in. So it was always a mixed bag and you had to write off pretty much yeah. the day. But that became your highlight. For sure. I And the yeah. rest of the days, what were you doing? So Tuesdays you were in prison, Tuesday mornings? And Thursdays I was in prison. Uh, I kept I, I kept up the, the meetings during the week when I could to, to, to still maintain, but after a while I dropped that. I was running the, the, the Connect Group or the Life Team at home. Oh, so you, you were pastoring a church? Or no, no, no. So you were working that, uh, in the Uniting Church or... In the Methodist, Methodist Church, Church, I was just a member. I was, but during the lunchtime, I was doing that. And on the Saturday nights, I ran my own service. So when were you working? How, how were you surviving? So I had a job. Oh, you had a job. And, and how would you get away Tuesdays and Thursdays? Um, he was, well, ultimately, I have a sales job, and I was good at my job, and I hit my targets. Okay. So whether I was in church or at a golf course, it was all good. And, um, yeah, and then I what was… What were you selling, software or hardware? Yeah, yeah, a whole complex level of IT tools. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So I was doing business development, directing and uh, running sales teams and um, at that time. And then toward the end, I ended up working for a Christian uh, business owner. And uh, that was a little bit more flexibility, but also really awesome. But as this thing started to just mobilize, uh, right in the beginning, I, I hit a wall. And this was really important for me. Um, I just felt I couldn't do it. Yes. I felt that I was letting God down and I felt like a failure. To be honest, 
even the smells was scary. You yeah. Know, you know, wanting to love somebody, but 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 they've been in a police cell for a week. You know, unwashed, uh, unkempt. It's it's just sweating. It's the whole thing, and 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 I just felt that I I I was useless to God. I felt really broken. You know, um, I just thought, Lord, you've given me so much. And I'm failing you. And I was crying at home. I was like, Lord, what do I do? And that night he took me in a dream. And um, in this dream, he took my hand and he walked me past. Visually, I could see. I can't explain it. But the expression of sin, you know, oh, it was the alcohol, it was the drugs, it was this, it was that. We went straight past that to a place where he showed the inner working. Not, this, not the art symptoms, but the inner workings of my heart. And it shocked me that that's what he saved me from. Yeah. When I saw that, I realized that if he could save me from that, he could save anyone. Yeah. And all I've got to do is carry that heart in. And the next time I was in the prison, we were in the middle of worship. You should hear what it was like for 150 women in the prison to belt out worship songs. Most of them were black Africans. So, yeah, there's a, there's a percentage. So I'd say um, actually... So in South Africa, we had, uh, in Cape Town particularly, there's, there's a, a lot of mixed race. Um, so that was the bulk, uh, some Muslim, some, some African, darker skinned African, and then some white ladies. So about 80% mixed race and the rest. And they knew the songs, they could worship. Well, in the beginning, you know, we had all the props. You know, yeah. I would take in a speaker and, uh, you know, I'd even have a little podium, from, a little fold-out podium. I was fully running church, you know. Yeah. And it was all me just learning because I, I relied on the props. I used to play the music and project on the wall. Were they the standing or were they sitting? Or? Standing. And then they had benches to sit afterwards, yeah. yeah. So um, we took full church in there. I mean, their voices would have been glorious. And the, the hall would echo. And, and it was heartfelt, tearful crying. And during that time, the Lord opened my heart. And I think he allowed me to see his love for them for one second. Yeah. And I cried out in pain when I felt his love. And from that moment, I was like a father to them. Mm. And inside. So there, what I, I can also highlight is that there were two major things that helped my growth. That, that was when I started to understand that we do our works by faith, right? Yeah. But there's a supernatural part that he brings to everything. Mm. That, yes, he's placed Jesus in us, but... He's still part of the picture. Yeah. And he did that to my heart. He actually supernaturally touched my heart and I yeah. felt it. And I had love for that calling. It's beautiful. Mm. And your wife was journeying with you through all of this. Oh, brother, she would have a, her own interview with you. And I think everybody would laugh and laugh. Um, yeah, I'm just charging ahead. And she's just fully always there supporting me giving love, opening the home, cooking and preparing and being there. Uh, she hasn't has traveled with me as much as I would have liked into Africa and places like this. But as a family, you know, she was in the prison as one of the key people. Yeah. So oh, I mean, that's vital. Mm. And uh, it eliminated a lot of fear. She's a powerful yeah. woman of God. And yeah. um, she's got a very black and white, uh, strong prophetic and creative gifting. 
And, um, you know, I just want to love everyone. And there's been times that she says things and I don't listen. And <laughs> later on, I have to apologize because I understand she was right. She's very strong discernment, but she's deeply full of love. You know? So why did you leave South Africa and Australia? So this thing multiplied into me launching my own church and uh, seven, prison, seven hospital ministries and uh, fruitful ministries. Every night of the week, we had teams that were going into the hospitals. The Lord said to me, I want you to go to the centers of fear and dread. I couldn't think of more of a dreadful place than being in a hospital bed in Africa, thinking you're dying. And the same symptom, not enough beds, people lined up, all of that. So you can imagine this thing was on steroids. It multiplied in the kingdom. And um, the church we started was everybody was involved in these ministries. So it was a very simple next step to just gather them in one place yes. and celebrate. Yeah. Um, and then I was running. I'd left the work I was doing with uh, Brother Daryl when I ran, helped him run his company. And I started my own company. I, I launched a call center for a while and I stopped that. Then I launched another business that was installing window film. That went really well. But then I couldn't do that in the church because the work in Africa, the, the exercising spiritual triage yes. is just, you know, the work is prolific. So I brought in someone to help with the business and my brother Gerhard started to really help and he ended up being a shareholder and that was amazing. And the Lord said to me, so I was at that time conferencing in Texas and in Australia yeah. and I was part of a ministry that was exposing me to amazing things. So I was just growing. One day in Australia, the Lord touched my heart. And I went back home to South Africa and I thought, what is going on? Mm. And after that, we had a series of dreams and visions. And I sat with Kaz and I said, look, I think God is calling me to Australia to do what I'm doing here, there. And yes. from her heart perspective, that's a lot closer to New Zealand than where she was. And we've done yeah. 18 years in South Africa. But this is where it really shocked me. The Lord said to me, shut down the church. Not give in, not pass it on. Shut down the church. And I thought, have I done something wrong? Mm. So I went into a time of prayer and it took us about six months. But the Lord wanted the seed that we had developed to be planted in churches all over. At this time, an apostolic leader in South Africa and I had connected, Apostle Andy Lamb. And I didn't know this when I first met him. And he had a huge, huge fathering role in my life over a year yes. in this transition. He had actually traveled around Australia for three years as an evangelist. He, he was a mixed race man who traveled through the apartheid era and he blazed a trail. Mighty, mighty man of God. Hallelujah. Now, he impacted me. He carried me forward. They even, him and his church, commissioned our family to come to Australia. So we understood we were dispersing the seed of the church. And that final church service, everyone came back and we cried for hours. But it was beautiful. But the Lord also said, give the business away to Gerhard. So to your brother, to my brother in Christ, gave him the business. He, my shares, uh, the, where the business was at at that time, he was already really doing most of the running of the business. Yes. And he's, he's an incredibly good at what he does. And there was just nothing more to do than to just place it in his hands and release everything here and then move. Mm. Praise God. 
and you went to New South Wales. So we arrived in New South Wales, um, and your wife was keen. So Nathaniel, I had done the reconnaissance mission <laughs> and taken photographs back. She had seen the pictures, and by faith and in trust in God and trust in me, it's cute. we sold everything, everything, because we had a very small amount that I think it was, I stand to correction, but I think it was three cubic meters or four cubic meters that we, four cubic meters. That you wanted to bring here. That's all we could afford. Yeah. All I know is we each had two boxes. <laughs> So that's all we arrived with, and we started working with the church in Sydney, and we worked there, and we instantly, like they, yeah, they employed yeah. you, or no, it was a friendship, and um, we went to help them, and then uh, stuff happened, and we we moved on from that and carried on. We built a barista cafe, and the barista cafe was um, quite an incredible expression of the kingdom, liberation coffee, and that also got complicated. Um, but when I look back at the complications, I understand, to be, to be real, I understand that even the visions included me doing the work that I was doing in the prison. Yes. So it's not just with indigenous people. It's, it's the work that we, we had last night at your yeah. church. It's yeah. the ministry of the Holy Spirit. healing, any ministry. Yep, and, 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 kingdom, and ministry. kingdom ministry, but releasing that into people's lives. And, and there's always been a part of me, always, which has been concerned about the multiplication. So the weight of what we carry, you can decrease the weight by multiplying and teaching people to do the same work. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. I mean, I was from a sales background and I understood this. Yeah. You know, people doing the same work multiplies the outcomes. So from there, a very, very beautiful friendship uh, with Neil and Lisa that we know very well in Canberra and they have been a pivotal point in strategic relationships for us. Who are they? Um, they're based in Canberra. We knew them before I came to Australia and uh, him and I are very close brothers in Christ mm -hmm. and obviously I met his family and his family adopted us as family and um, if I look back at the relationships in the kingdom that have flourished, even leading to this, yes. it all comes through a starting point of relationship with them. Beautiful. So that really has been as a seed that has opened up and he opened and they opened up their hearts and said, well, our friends are your friends. What, what more can you trust somebody with? The whole network. The I mean. whole network. And from you know, there, that's what they say, if you're an introvert, find somebody who's an extrovert and become their friend. You only need one friend, <laughs> that extrovert, because they'll open the whole network to you. Yeah, and in a way, I think that I'm an extrovert introvert. So, you know, in a way, I fully get that. And he was the one who took me out on a business trip. I piggybacked to Cooper Pity. Yes. Oh, man. Suddenly, I'm in the bush, and it feels like I'm on my way into the African bush. The next thing I'm meeting indigenous people and the rest is history. I just lit up. And then you went on a long journey in the outback. You took yes. Queensland on, uh, far Queensland, West Queensland and into Northern Territory, didn't you? I must have been back close to eight or ten times. And each trip has been epic, an epic journey that the Lord has taken. Long trips, long week, trips. week long. Month Two or three long, weeks, months month long. long, you know, um, and, and South Australia uh, in, um, there's a place called Port Augusta has yes. become a launching point and a strategic point for us. And You haven't been to Nipavana by any chance? No, I haven't. Have you heard of it? No. 
Yeah, I've been I've been from Port Augusta. I've got a lot of friends in Port Pirie. Wow. Yeah. So I've driven through Port Pirie. I had a house there. Okay, that's yeah. amazing. They, uh, uh, I've got some good friends there. They wanted me to move there. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, I haven't. <laughs> but look, we, wherever the doors have opened, so yes. it's far and wide. Um, and, and it's in Port Augusta that I met uh, ben, ben Sleep. And that's where... Um, what was he doing in Port Augusta? So something very strategic was happening in the city. from Perth. He's from Perth, and through this network of friends and prophets and leaders and beautiful people that I met through Neil and Lisa, um, I had spent a year and a half going up to Cooper PD and doing work with the communities there and whatever. This time, the doors opened in Port Augusta, yes. and I, I was then called on by an indigenous leader, a lady friend of ours now, and she said, come and run a conference. So when I had this, I just thought, right, and the word went out, I said, who's coming? Yes. And this is where uh, a friend of ours, through Neil Jeffrey Lawrence, he came across the Nullarbor with his friend Benjamin Sleep. And uh, I didn't know who was coming. All I knew was we needed a certain amount. So of who came? Lindsay? No. Uh, no, no. Those were the only two from Perth. Okay. And the rest all came from other areas. So that's when you met Ben for the first time? I met a whole bunch of guys for the first then, time. When I met you in Sydney, I think, or, or yes. Yeah. Yes. No, Sydney. Sydney, yeah. Ben was there as well. That's right. So that yeah. was about a year and a half after Later. this moment. Yeah. So we had this conference in the Uniting Church. It was epic. Uh, we caused problems after the first meeting because we broke out in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But it was an undeniable move of the of God. And um, so is Neil connected with the uh, Estri and Acal or not at all? No. Different network, different, different circle. network, different okay. circle. Yeah. Yeah. He's 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 low key in that type of stuff. Sure. He's just a very, very generous and uh, powerful prophet. Oh, and, but, he, but he works in, in government. Yeah. And he's, he's incredibly good at his job and he just focuses in the place that the Lord has planted him. Sure. But he is one of those uh, pivotal connection points. Yeah. I've, I've been to Canberra many times. I still work in the federal government. So yeah. I used to be there quite a bit. And uh, I, I always found Canberra a very dark place, very difficult mm. place to minister. Very hard. Yeah, even when we held church conferences there, so, you know, such a... Uh, yeah. yeah. So we, we've been back and now we, uh, I'm connected with Brian Medway yes. and we held a little meeting, not at his church service, but we used his premises and I gathered a whole bunch of people I know and we all gathered and healing bust out and then some of the miracles of healing became testimonies that Sunday in churches in Canberra. So we, I'm starting to see huge uh, breakthrough i've yeah. done a lot of ministering around the riverina area and the outback but all little towns rural towns and you know faith-filled communities of intercessors and um so yeah. how would you go let's say i understand sunday there's churches there's communities but mm -hmm. during the week how would you visit or they would connect you to the next village or next town or so often when i go i just run meetings during the week Okay. And they just set up an extra meeting and I'll just go from place to place. So I fill it up. Yeah. Uh, if somebody is very specifically stuck to a Sunday, what I'll normally do is run a Saturday meeting. So there's been a series of revival and healing meetings uh, like we did in Albany recently. Yeah. We'll run it on a Saturday. We just explode the place. So where did you go to on uh, in Albany? So in Albany, we, we joined a friend of ours, Pastor Mark. And um, he got a building for us to use for the meeting, which is the awesome. old Methodist building, this ecumenical <laughs> building, and built in 1890 with nice. uh, still got the pipe 
organ at the back and you know in town in on the town, old street on york street yeah. oh yeah I've, I've i've done weddings there right beautiful too. yeah so not the big one not that big one the the not on the right inside the, the small on the, the left small one on the as left as you go down as you go yeah, down the hill i've done weddings in there yeah yeah beautiful little so we just we were there and about uh, a total of members of three churches were there and it just exploded oh. There's some breakthrough down there. There's a lot of churches, but a lot of breakthroughs. So. so just like the prison, you know, yeah. the prison, it was like focusing inside the prison. And then at one time I even thought, am I only anointed in the prison, Lord? You know? <laughs> I need fences and guards you know? around me. You know, then you go outside and you pray for family and you pray this, but is, what's going on, Lord? Yeah. And then when you mature and you grow, then breakthrough comes. Yeah. And AP Wylands and from Port Augusta right up to AP Wylands has been similar to the, the prison, not disrespectful to call it prison, but the experience of me building a momentum, like a flywheel spinning. And yeah. as it's at optimal, now it's bursting out the seams. Now it goes outside. And that's the season that we're in now. Beautiful. You know, it's just a case of all these years of learning, all this beautiful people around that uh, can assist. Many, many doors open. Mm. So after four and a half years in this country, I'm finally uh, being trusted with um, communities. That's beautiful. Yeah. Very, very pleased about what's happening. What's next for Benjamin Sleeve? Uh, no, for me, my apologies. What's next for Chris <laughs> Millen? We're talking about Benjamin Sleep. So, but probably he's, he's part of the equation. Always, you know, Ben's, Ben's an amazing minister. So what's life. next for you? So this season, um, I would call the first chapter of my journey. I've, I've only got the names of the chapters. I'll write this book later on. <laughs> so the first chapter I will call Finishing School. Yes. It was the end of me. You know, I was arriving ready to just jump into this thing and realized that everything that happened was because I needed to actually come yeah. to the end of me. And um, that happened. Thank you, Jesus. So the next chapter was the state of the nation. Yeah. So I've done a lot of traveling, a lot of listening, a lot of preaching, a lot of exploring, uh, and just getting a picture of the heartbeat of this beautiful nation, left to right, inclusive of everybody. You know, I don't have yeah. an indigenous ministry. I've got a ministry to the to everybody. Of course. You know, um, but that is a place, that particular piece is a place that I feel an incredibly strong anointing and gifting and clear access because of my experiences with indigenous communities as I've grown up in Africa. I've, I've had a heart and sensitization for that. Yeah. So what's ahead is more. What's ahead is what I, what, what I did here last night, what I did uh, weeks, weeks leading up into Albany, what I've done for all the years in, in the outback is um, I'm going to roll grenades of the Holy Spirit out and just see the Holy Spirit lift, explode and Jesus lifted up and hearts changed and healing for me has always been spirit, soul and body. It's always been the whole person. Yeah. I initially thought I would plant a church mm. at some point. Uh, I've, I love church. I, it just I, feels I, natural for somebody I've, it's in what your yeah, it's what ministry. I've, it's what I've done and, and, and the calling of my life. Um, but what I've realized for this season and what God is doing in me for the next, for my life, yeah. is, you know, I run Veranda Church. Mm -hmm. And the veranda is attached to the house. So the veranda is Solomon's colonnade. It is yes. where Jesus stood and he ministered to the Jews, the Greeks, the male, the female, the boys and the girls, all as one. So it's all as the family. So the veranda that I've started is attached to the house of God. We are not separate to the body of Christ, but we have no walls. 
and we face the open field. Yes. And people that are coming in, so there is an aspect of evangelism there, but it's, it's also um, to bring people in. But my job is to light up the body of Christ and to see the houses of God filled and overflowing with revival fire. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And I'll be running at this for as long as I can. Wonderful. Wonderful. And you've got three boys? Or? Two boys. Two boys. Um, Caleb and Levi. <coughs> Levi. Wow. Yeah. How old are they now? So Caleb's 21 and Levi is 14. And um, they've both seen a lot in, in good stuff uh, yeah. with me in ministry. And actually, you know, Caleb used to come with me to the hospitals and even, you know, out into outreach in Africa. Beautiful. And Levi's traveled with me, him and I, on a trip all the way into Alice Springs and APY lands. And are they homeschooled, are they? No. Just took time off. and So holidays. So how did you travel? In a four-wheel drive, in a Toyota, Land Cruiser, yeah. as you do? Or? In, in the Toyota that God gave me. Yeah. Um, over the few years, we've killed a few cars in the outback because we've had the wrong equipment. And there's always a need to, to, to pick up the resource, to need to get the right tools for the work. But yeah. um, it was a mirac miraculous moment where somebody, in fact, a, a husband and wife, dear friends of ours, felt led to just provide the finance for a car. And overnight, I found myself with a vehicle that can take me into the swampy lands or the dry lands, you know? Wonderful. Mm. And you, do you go with a caravan or? So we started off with swags. Yeah. I've upgraded to a trailer full of clothing and medical supplies and a rooftop tent on top of the yeah, trailer. That just pops up. Excuse me, yes. So, so the rooftop tent on top of the trailer that just pops open. And the future view would be uh, a fold-out uh, camper van of some kind, camper of some kind. So, yeah. you know, but the, the Lord is providing each step of the way as the ministry work is increasing. Sure. Yeah. And the outback is still on your heart. Always. <laughs> See, what I'm seeing out there is they've opened up their hearts. And they, I went through a lot to win the hearts. Yes. But because it's one thing having a budget and going to the outback. It's another thing to be trusted. Yes. and invited in to touch the lives of the families. Yeah. I'm considered as family. Ben is considered as family, and we yeah. treat it very carefully. Um, they have churches that are all like verandas out there, and, yeah. and I'm invited and honored as a guest to engage yes. and do what I do. What I see in the future, though, is I can't keep running to all the small places. It, the, the meetings are going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, you need to make some disciples. Well, this is what we're launching. We are training disciples out there. In fact, there's about seven uh, mighty men and their families or more who are out there, and they actually have been walking with us and also been trained in a very powerful way by the Holy Spirit. And they're actually out there doing this each weekend, ministering the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So we've multiplied indigenous men and women of God for yeah. the indigenous families. That's the best way. Yeah. You know. Uh, people don't understand how important it is to have people of the land, yeah. you know, That's being my in job. the kingdom. Because as you leave, they can carry on the good works, and then it's cro it's cross generational. They can carry on and pass on that seed furthermore. Right on. And and the thing is to just continue the strategy of multiplying that. Yeah. So um, obviously, you could imagine the, the the training of that is now getting more formalized and more structured. It's not just watching and seeing and learning and talking around the fire about the word, it's now there's structured ways to approach that. And we, I'm bringing in layers and layers of this as we go forward. I'm building an army. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's what I'm doing out there. And 
I've, I'm seeing that whole strategy now spill out into the, into the overall body of Christ. And um, Tell me about the sky in the other back. How is the sky? In the oh, other? man. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it feels like you're, you're in Middle Earth. Yeah. You know, it feels different. And um, it touches my heart. It's rough and tough out there. The communities suffer. Yeah. But uh, the hand of God is out there. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Well done. What can I say? I, uh, I, I just, I can't even imagine all of these things. But I've had a, you know, patches of uh, of outback exposure, and I loved every moment of it. Uh, also, country towns, but uh, you know, to do it on such a an ongoing basis is uh, is beautiful. Mm. Praise God. Amen. I honor you for what you're doing, and I just think that yeah. it's beautiful. So carry on, and uh, Lord bless you and your family. Thank you, brother. It's been an incredible honor to do this full time because that is my job to do this full time. And this is what we've seen in four and a half years. And this is just the beginning. Yeah. You know, this is just the beginning of trusting God and learning to walk by faith and trusting him with the exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. And I've held that scripture in my heart, Ephesians 3.20. And we have seen his supernatural provision. We, he's paid our rent. He's fed our, fa fed our family. He's schooled our children. Yeah. He's provided vehicles. And little bit by little bit, we are growing in that and we're seeing his multiplication. Hallelujah. Yeah, it's awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Wonderful. Wasn't that just beautiful? I love these stories. I love uh, when, when you hear someone's heart for the Lord and for the local people and uh, just going out there and doing it, you know, totally believing and relying on God. I just pray that this inspires you, and I'm sure that you have an assignment on your life that calls you, and uh, you just got to step in that call of God on your life. You know, yeah. don't hold back. Uh, I'm sure you know, just as uh, Chris did, so many th other things that you can preoccupy your time with. But eventually, you know, it's time to surrender it all and just trust mm -hmm. in God and uh, go on a limb because that's where the fruit is, and enjoy the fruit of your labor. There's, there's beautiful uh, rewards even here, just to see people restored, healed, you know, reconciled, and just saved <laughs> into the kingdom. <laughs> I pray this blesses you, and if you love this content, do share it with other people. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We always love those. And we look forward to seeing you next time at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. I'm Nathaniel Christian. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.